But this story that's before us is a very sensual story and that we can encounter it with all five of our senses, right? We can, uh, we, we can hear the conversation happening around that dinner table. We can feel the ground under our feet or the wood or stone of the table. We can see our good friends around the table. We can taste the food that Martha made. And most importantly, we can smell the various fragrances around there. The food, maybe the B.O. of the person next to us. But most importantly, most importantly, the perfume that Mary pours out on Jesus' feet there that filled the whole room there. So I've been, that's what stuck out. That's where I've been focusing this week. So I've been, I've been, um, thinking about fragrances this week, how I've encountered them. It's a little weird to be thinking about this because smelling things is just something we do as humans. We don't think about it. It's like asking us to think about how we see, how we encounter sight, how we encounter sound, how we encounter smells and fragrances. But thinking about that this week, sometimes they're overwhelming, right? Where we can't really ignore something, how it smells. When my family lived in Circleville, the garage door into the house opened into kind of a hallway. On one side was the laundry room, and on the other side was the kitchen. So one day, I remember, I was coming home from band practice and walked in that door, and I was kind of hit by two competing smells. Because on one side, my mom was doing the, had the bleach load of laundry going, right? If we can remember that sharp bleach smell. Then the other side, it was right around dinner time, so mom was finishing up dinner, and I'm sure it smelled good, but the two of them just kind of competing for superiority in my nostrils just kind of, just kind of struck me back. <laughs> but smells, smells are also subtle, right? Um, Lauren and I bought our house in January. And we're, yeah, we bought our house in January when we were looking at homes in the fall. We saw how different realtors staged the houses, some better than others. And we, um, the house that we bought and we lived in now, one of the first things that we noticed when we walked in was how good it smelled. And it was a real simple thing, right? It was a real simple thing. The realtor just bought a really good smelling candle and put it someplace in the front room so it could kind of permeate the space. And it wasn't anything overwhelming. It was just enough, just enough for us to notice it and make it just kind of this multi-sensory experience. Now, it wasn't, like, it wasn't anything like the deciding factor on us buying the house, because when we bought it and they moved everything else, they took, they took that smelly good candle with them. So, <laughs> so it wasn't anything like the deciding factor, but it, it certainly started us off on the right foot, that subtle experience of scent. Now, we've all encountered fragrances. If we can think of how we encounter smells, how our sense of smell impacts our, how we interact with our sense of smell, we've all, sometimes overwhelming, sometimes subtle, right? We can, we can remember the overwhelming, call it stench, call it smell, these things where you can't really ignore it, right? So think back to the last time you went into maybe Bath and Body Works or somewhere else that, smell, that sells all these smelly good things. And you walk in the door, at least this is what I do. 
I walk in and I just kind of have to take a step back for a minute because here's all these scents competing for dominance in my nostrils, right? There's a store at Easton that Lauren and I have gone to a few times uh, where they sell specialty soaps and shampoos and all these things and they smell good like on, on their own, but it's like you, you just almost, it was a very good thing wearing a mask during COVID to go into the, to go into the store where I could just kind of breathe at least the at least relatively fresh air under there but with covid the ability to smell has become extra important at least to me right because we remember on the list of symptoms that have just kind of been ever present in in stores in 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 king avenue when you come in these list of of symptoms and from the very beginning one of them was a new loss of taste or smell Right, at least in the first few variants, that was uh, that was pretty common. I, I've heard it's I think it's less common in, this, in the most recent ones, but that was that was one of the first symptoms that we heard about. Where if you have a new loss of taste or smell, quarantine and get tested as soon as you can. Right. So when lockdown first started, whenever I would smell something good or bad, it would just kind of be a sigh of relief. Right. Okay, that trash smells awful, but I don't have COVID, so I'll take it. <laughs> But we encounter fragrance in the story before us today. Um, This lavish, expensive perfume poured out on Jesus' feet here. Wiped up by Mary's hair, just kind of filling the room, permeating the space where they were all eating. So thinking about this passage, how it would have been experienced there. I was listening to a scholar who studies, and they're an expert in social customs of first century Palestine. This, that's when this story is, is set in first century Palestine. And um, when people find out what she studies and what she specializes in, they start, um, she was on this podcast talking about how people, when they find this out, they would start asking her what it would have been like to be alive when Jesus was alive. Right, because that's that's what she focused. That's exactly her area of study. What it would have been, what it was like to be alive at this time that Jesus was alive in first century Palestine. That's exactly what she studied. So people are saying, how wonderful it would have been to see the miracles, to hear the teachings for themselves, and start waxing poetically about that. Right? Maybe we've wondered about those questions. I know I have. And when she's asked those questions, she, her one of her answers is. Well, I hate to burst your bubble, but, but the first thing you would probably notice is how bad it smelled to our modern noses. If you were just transported right back to first century Palestine, to the streets of Galilee, the first thing you probably would have noticed was how bad it smelled. And that seems a little weird hearing that, but she knew the social customs, of, or knows the social customs of that time, including personal hygiene habits, not anything like what we have today. Uh, what happened or didn't happen with human and animal waste, what they did or didn't do with trash. I mean, they, they didn't have any sanitation system. They didn't have any plumbing. They didn't have any running water, right? So it would have smelled just, all of this would have just kind of left a stench hanging around any sizable human settlement that just would have smelled bad to our modern noses that aren't used to being that near to all of this stuff that we just kind of send down the drain. Now, obviously, our characters wouldn't notice because this is just their world. Um, but, but in that, I'm thinking about how we interacted with this story, with my modern nose interacting with fragrances, as this story tells us. In that stench, 
Mary anoints Jesus' feet with this perfume and filled the whole house with that fragrance, chasing away all of the other smells floating around them. This fragrance. Now, according to Jesus, this perfume and this fragrance signifies his death. That's what it's pointing to. This episode comes right before the procession into Jerusalem. That's what we celebrate every year on Palm Passion Sunday with the palm branches, all of that. That's, that ha- this is right before that happens. So this is kind of a, the calm before the storm. And here we read of Mary preparing Jesus for his death, that he's about to go off and start the final journey toward. So nard, this perfume, this was one of the spices, one of the perfumes, one of the spices that was used to anoint a corpse before a proper burial. So it would have smelled good, probably covered up the stench of, of human death, but the scent would have been associated with death. That's the scent memory it would have carried for the people in the house. So this fragrance points to this core affirmation at the center of the gospel, that Jesus died and rose again. At the center of the gospel is this message that flies in the face of how the world seemingly works. That people are supposed to die and to stay dead and we put the nard on them, push them into the tomb or bury them under the ground and that's it. But the gospel says that's not always true. So we could say it simply. The gospel smells really good. In a world that often smells really bad. The gospel smells really good in a world that often smells really bad. In a world controlled by these systems and structures and trends and these powers. All of these things that hold humanity captive. That privilege some and that trample others. That that claim our ultimate allegiance that call us to pursue wealth and power over connection, over humanity, in the world marked by a sharp stench of death and decay, the gospel gives us a new fragrance, one of life, one of hope, one of flowers in the sun-filled clearing, one of hot chocolate maybe on a cold day, one of coffee in the morning. The aroma of your favorite meal filling the room. The subtle fragrance of belonging, of a home that cuts through everything else. The gospel introduces a different way, a different fragrance. This new scent that reminds us, this is not all there is. There is true beauty and true life and true light. Even when your nose is filled with the stench of rot and decay and death. There is more. So the gospel smells really good in a world that often smells real bad. And as members of, uh, of the body of Christ, as messengers of the gospel, we have a calling that's worded a little weird, but this is just kind of how I'm hearing it this week. May we smell good when our communities smell bad. That's talking about the community right around this church and our 
own communities when we go home, wherever we go home to, whatever neighborhood around Columbus, whatever suburb we live in, whatever local community, may we smell good when our communities smell bad. We heard what happened here. Mary poured this extravagant perfume on Jesus' feet, and Judas decides to open his mouth. And it ends with this infamous saying of Jesus. And maybe that's what he's saying. Maybe that's what he's calling us here to. To, 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 to smell good when our community smells bad. Because he has this infamous line. It ends on this infamous line that I often don't really know what to do with. You'll always have the poor with you. But you won't always have me. That's one of those lines that I don't really know what to do with. Sometimes. But maybe this is where Jesus is going. We know the story. Mary pours this extravagant perfume on Jesus' feet. Judas decides to open his mouth at this. And he says, that cost a year's wages for the common laborer. Why wasn't it sold and the money given away to the poor? Now, we as the reader, we know he's not really being, he's being a little disingenuous here. The, the, the author of the gospel gives us all these little asides, all these little parenthetical comments here. But I think it's a fair question. But Jesus' response to this question, after he says, leave her alone, he says, you will always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. That's what kind of, Often I don't really know what to do with, and not because of the words themselves, but often the ways that we've kind of heard that, that line twisted. The interpretation of that line twisted to, into a reason to not help the poor, to, get, to let them pull themselves up. You'll always have the poor with you. You won't always have me, so let's not help the poor, and let's only stay worshiping, singing glorifying Jesus over here, however we interpret those. Have we heard that kind of interpretation? Am I the only one? But that's a ridiculous take on this reading, just not even really that much digging here. That's a ridiculous take on the reading, because remember, first, Jesus himself was poor. Jesus himself, he knew the poor will always be with you because Jesus was one of them, and most of his followers, not all, but most of his followers were poor. So that's the first setting we've got to remember. And why shouldn't the poor be lavished upon like this? When we interpret it like this, it sounds like it's coming from the same messed up logic that poor people shouldn't buy steaks or luxury items with their food stamps. People with incomes below the poverty line have the same dignity and worth as people with incomes above the poverty line. So why shouldn't this poor man Jesus be lavished upon like this? There is plenty of money in the system. But the biggest piece for me, Jesus here, he's really referring back to a command in Deuteronomy. Jesus does this very, very often with his teachings. We just often don't pick up on it because the law that shapes Jesus' life and shaped the lives of most of his followers, because this was a Jewish community he was leading, this just kind of was the world they lived in. So we often don't pick up these references, but this is what Jesus is referring to. A piece in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 15.11 says, Since there will never cease to be some in need upon the earth, or since you will always have the poor with you, I therefore command you, open your hand to the poor and needy neighbor in your land. 
Now, Jesus said only the first part of that, but, Jesus, but Judas and the disciples would have heard the second part. They would have understood that reference. So I think Jesus is first calling Judas' bluff here, and he's saying, this is our law. This is what, how, what, how we're supposed to be living. This is what we're supposed to be following. Now, you've been skimming money off the top of the collection plate for a while, so why haven't you been using that to feed the poor? First off, and then I think he's also calling out these structures and these systems and structures, this symptom of this broken world order that he was living in, that we are still living in, pointing out, not saying prescriptively, there must always be the poor among you, but just pointing out an observation, there will always be the poor among you. And pointing out to the, the symptoms of these systems and structures, filling his community to return to the metaphor with this ugly stench, this creation of an underclass, the poor, the hungry and the houseless living next to the wealthy and the powerful, this kind of stratification that still exists among us today. Pointing to one of the ways that his world smelled real bad. So in a world that often smells really bad, may we smell good. In local communities that often smell of rot and decay, may we smell of life. In our local communities that are filled with the symptoms of a broken world order, poverty, racism, xenophobia, classism, etc., 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 poor and houseless living just down the street from the rich and wealthy. May we smell of the new world order that Jesus is bringing about, a new world order of love and light and justice and equity. Now the fragrance in our story was overwhelming at first. Filled the whole house. That's how we read it. Now, it would have faded, but the scent would have lasted. Maybe we've, all, maybe we've been in a place that where the scent just kind of hangs onto our clothes. At Ohio Northern University in the little town of, of Ada, there was a restaurant called Jalapenos that was basically Chipotle, but 10 times better than that. And it was just such, the food was great, but the restaurant just smelled so strongly of Mexican food. Right, and this, that smells fine until you sit in there to eat your lunch, and then you go back to your to go to your next class, and the person sitting next to you has to move to the next table over because you just smell of stale Mexican food. So it's it would have faded, but the scent would have lingered like that on their clothes, and especially in Mary's hair when she wiped Jesus' feet with it. They didn't have running water, so there's no. It's not like they would have taken taken a shower after this. It would have stayed around and subtly surrounded them wherever they went, at least for a while. So may the scent of the gospel be the same with us. I mean, think of all the small ways that we as King Avenue just just go about doing our work. All these regular pieces of our life together that we don't really think about. The 12-step groups that meet here just on a regular basis, we're just their meeting spot. Packing lunches for open shelter. That's, again, just a regular part of our life together. Collecting donations, usually for Hubbard Elementary School and NEMAP Food Pantry. 
Um, a relatively new thing is offering our space to the Mid Ohio Workers Association for their monthly medical session for their for their members. The, our, our coming out with God support group, our Isaiah thirty five mental health support group, all these small things, small things that we do that still permeate the community with a new scent. These small things that aren't forced, they're not hard-nosed about anything, but just efforts to keep the scent of the gospel circulating in a community that sometimes smells bad. So it's a weird calling, but that's how I'm hearing it this morning. The gospel smells really good in a world that often smells really bad. So may we smell good when our communities smell bad. May we keep the scent of the gospel circulating around our world, around our communities, around our neighborhoods when that scent is sorely missing. May we be a source of life when systems around us are killing our neighbors. May we be a source of beauty in a world too often devoid of that. May we be a source of real change and real transformation in a city, a community, a world sorely in need of it. May we smell good when our communities smell bad. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for all the ways you are already at work in us all the ways you have already transformed each one of us, all the ways that we have already caught the smell, the fragrance of the gospel in our lives. And now we pray for the ability, for the opportunity to carry that, to carry that fragrance, to keep it circulating in our community that we might be a source of beauty, a source of life, a good smell when our communities smell bad. May we be a source of life in a death-dealing world. May we be a source of love in a hate-filled world. We pray these things in your name. We all said together, amen.